It's been a chaotic couple of months in Fulton County with the special purpose grand jury investigating the actions of former President Donald Trump after the 2020 election. Some key figures of Trump's inner circle have been called to come testify in Atlanta. The governor of the state of Georgia has been subpoenaed. A United States senator is fighting his subpoena tooth and nail. And that's what we've been covering in this season of Breakdown, the podcast from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution covering Georgia's most important cases. I'm Bill Rankin, the AJC's legal affairs reporter. And I'm senior reporter Tamar Hallerman. The pace is going to slow down a little bit, and the investigation will essentially be put on pause over the next month for November's election. But we still want to keep you informed on a regular basis. That's why, starting this week, we will be here every Tuesday while the case is ongoing. We'll have either our regular in-depth episodes that you're used to, or we'll have what we'll call breakdown bonus episodes. There'll be more of a conversation with experts about key developments in the case. And that's what we have this week. Coming up, we'll be joined by AJC reporter and voting expert Mark Nisi to dig into what happened in a South Georgia county after the January 6th insurrection. But before that, we have a few new developments to discuss. This is episode 12, Breakdown Bonus, What Happened in Coffee County of Season 9, The Trump Grand Jury, from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or, better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants a rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Before we get to our conversation with the AJC's Mark Nisi on the wild developments in South Georgia, Here's what's happened since our last episode. We've learned that the special purpose grand jury remains interested in what happened at the U.S. Attorney's Office in Atlanta in January 2021. That's when B.J. Pack, the U.S. Attorney here at the time, was essentially shown the door after being told Trump was unhappy with him. The president didn't believe Pack was investigating voter fraud claims aggressively enough, and Trump replaced Pack with Bobby Christine, the U.S. Attorney in Savannah. This bypassed the normal chain of command and raised fears of potential political interference. Christine's marching orders were to look anew into the election fraud claims. And after doing so, Christine arrived at the same conclusion as PAC. Our AJC colleague, Chris Joyner, got a recording of a phone call Christine had with the U.S. Attorney's Office staff after he'd concluded his investigation. But I say this not out of self-aggrandizement. I say it to you to hopefully bring some comfort to you, but also because I'm frustrated. I would love to stand out on the street corner and scream this, and I can't. But I can tell you, I closed the two most, I I, I don't know, I guess you call them high-profile, or two most pressing election issues this office has. 
I said, I believe, as many of the people around the table believe, there's just nothing to them. There's no there there. We've known for a little while that the special grand jury was interested in the developments in the U.S. Attorney's Office. It subpoenaed the AJC this summer to get its hands on the very recording of the conference call that we just shared with you. Prosecutors spoke with Pack earlier this spring, but as far as we know, he hasn't been subpoenaed. On September 15th, we got word that Christine himself got subpoenaed. We know this because of a legal filing showing Christine retained a lawyer, Alabama-based Matt Hart, to represent him before the special purpose grand jury, as well as before the congressional January 6th committee, the Justice Department, and the federal grand jury aiding DOJ's January 6th investigation. In other words, it's not just the Fulton DA and the January 6th committee that's interested in the tumult that plagued the U.S. Attorney's Office. Christine, by the way, is now the district attorney of Columbia County near Augusta. His lawyer, Matt Hart, says Christine has been told he's not a target of the special grand jury investigation, only a witness. In yet another development, it seems likely the special purpose grand jury may be interested in hearing from former Georgia congressman and House Speaker Newt Gingrich, because the House Select Committee certainly is. Committee Chairman Benny Thompson sent a letter to the former speaker in early September. It says the panel wants to know about Gingrich's communications with Trump's senior advisors in the days leading up to the insurrection. This includes emails Gingrich exchanged with Trump's son-in-law Jared Kushner and White House communications strategist Jason Miller. Thompson wrote that Gingrich urged the Trump campaign to air advertisements promoting the false claims that workers had smuggled suitcases of false ballots into Atlanta's State Farm Arena on election night. The letter says Gingrich said the ads should include a call to action to pressure state officials and that it should be called, quote, the suitcase scandal. Thompson reminded Gingrich what Georgia elections official Gabe Sterling said at a December 1, 2020 press conference after he'd learned a young contractor from Dominion Voting Systems was receiving death threats. Mr. President, it looks like you likely lost the state of Georgia. We're investigating. There's always a possibility. I get it. And you have the rights to go through the courts. What you don't have the ability to do, and you need to step up and say this, is stop inspiring people to commit potential acts of violence. Someone's going to get hurt, someone's going to get shot, someone's going to get killed. Just one week after that, Gingrich wrote to top White House aides, quote, The goal is to arouse the country's anger through new verifiable information the American people have never seen before. Thompson wrote, quote, You sought to arouse anger just one week after Gabe Sterling warned the public of violent threats made against Georgia elections officials. And he wrote that Gingrich provided detailed directives about TV ads that perpetuated the false claims and that he was likely in direct communication with Trump about those efforts. And even on the night of the January 6th insurrection, Gingrich emailed Chief of Staff Mark Meadows asking, quote, Are there letters from state legislators about decertifying electors? Thompson asked Gingrich to appear voluntarily for an interview before the select committee the week of September 19th. We don't know if he's going to do so. We also don't know if the Fulton County Special Grand Jury has issued a subpoena to Gingrich. But if it hasn't done so yet, we suspect it will. Okay, that should bring you up to date. In episodes 10 and 11, we discussed what happened in Coffee County in south-central Georgia the day after the January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. 
To dig deeper into this, we want to bring on the AJC's Mark Nisi, who has covered this story since it first broke. Mark joined the AJC in 2013 after working for the Associated Press in Atlanta, Honolulu, and Montgomery, Alabama. He now covers the state legislature and the Secretary of State's office. He's also the AJC's elections and voting rights expert. Mark was covering the audit in Cobb County the day that then-President Donald Trump's chief of staff, Mark Meadows, unexpectedly showed up. He was at one of the legislative hearings in December 2020 when Trump campaign attorney Rudy Giuliani made his presentations. And he follows Brad Raffensperger more closely than just about anyone. Mark knows his stuff. You're in for a treat. So, without further ado, here's Tamar's interview with Mark. Well, hi, Mark. Thank you so much for joining us for this special episode of Breakdown. I'm very happy to be here as a fan of Breakdown. I love listening to all the developments. Well, we're such a fan of you, and we're so excited to talk to you because the scope of this Fulton County Special Grand Jury investigation has grown considerably over these last few months, and many of the new issues on the grand jury's plate really fall under your bailiwick. And so I wanted to start with one of the newest kind of topics of conversation that's emerged on our radar over the last couple of weeks, and it's this breach of elections data in tiny Coffee County, Georgia, about 200 miles from Atlanta. Now, we know that the grand jury is interested in this because of an out-of-state witness subpoena sent to Sidney Powell, a one-time attorney for the Trump campaign who was involved in Coffee County, and jurors are also subpoenaed information from Sullivan Strickler, which is a data services firm here in Atlanta that Powell had hired to work in Coffee County. But I must admit, this wasn't something that had really been on my radar until about a month ago, Mark. So catch us up with what happened in Coffee County and why we're only hearing about this now, almost two years after these events happened. What we now know is that on January 7th, 2021, a team of tech experts from that company, Sullivan Strickler, visited Coffee County's elections office and copied a vast drove of election data that was supposed to be kept secure and confidential. Election management server files, ballot marking devices, ballot scanners, voter check-in records, anything you can think of they made a copy of as they were working for Sidney Powell, who is Trump's former attorney. And so what this did is it kind of connects the dots a little bit between the investigation of the Fulton grand jury into attempts to influence the election and Sidney Powell's role in working with officials in Coffee County to try to obtain information that they shouldn't have. And we'll see how close the connection is to an investigation of efforts to interfere with the election. But certainly we've seen that the grand jury is aware and concerned about these issues. So how did we find out about all of this? My understanding is a lot of these details have been emerging as part of this entirely separate lawsuit that's been playing out. That's right. There's been an election security lawsuit pending in federal court since 2017. And the lawsuit is the reason we know about this happening in Coffee County. In connection with the lawsuit, one of the plaintiffs recorded a phone call with a bail bondsman who worked as kind of a middleman for this Coffee County operation to copy 
confidential election files. And this phone call was recorded first in spring 2021, but it wasn't made public until February of this year when first a election official, Gabriel Sterling, was questioned about it in a deposition, and then the recording was actually put in the court docket in federal court with a transcript so you could see exactly what this bail bondsman alleged happened. And at the time, even in February and March of this year, it seemed sort of far-fetched. You know, he was it was a long phone call where he was ma- saying a lot of things and claiming that there was fraud in the election when that hasn't been shown to be true. And it wasn't really clear how credible these allegations were that a team of people actually went to tiny Coffee County and copied confidential election records. It just didn't seem credible initially. But then we saw that this kind of thing has happened in other states, um, Michigan, Nevada, Arizona, where ballot reviews and copying and release of election files has occurred. And then it started to seem like maybe it did happen in Georgia too. And now we know that it did. Documents and subpoenas and depositions all show that this is something that actually took place and we only learned about it recently. And not only that, but now we have security cam footage from the Coffee County Elections Office showing Kathy Latham, who was the then the chairwoman of the the Coffee County GOP, who ended up serving as a fake elector who was named as a target of this Fulton County investigation, letting in these Sullivan Strickler employees. So it, it's all kind of starting to connect a little bit. That's right. And we don't know exactly all the communications we had, but certainly we can see Kath- Kathy Latham greeting the IT experts as they arrive in Coffee County, opening the door to the elections office for them. And we have seen the correspondence between the computer experts and Sidney Powell and other attorneys and people involved in copying election data. So we can see that there was this connection between Sidney Powell, a fake elector who tried to give Georgia's electoral votes to Trump, even though Biden had won, and then these tech experts who actually were paid to copy this information. And of course, the cast of characters is broader than that. You have Cyber Ninjas, you have Mike Lindell, the CEO of MyPillow, who's become a really prominent ally of former President Trump. So it's grown considerably. Absolutely. And we don't know what these other characters did in Coffee County, but we did know they were there in the days and weeks after this tech team was there on January 7th. Um, so we do have video showing Doug Logan, the CEO of Cyber Ninjas, which conducted the ballot review in Arizona. He was in Coffee County in late January. And a flight manifest shows that a plane owned by MyPillow, whose CEO is Mike Lindell, who frequently promotes claims that Trump was the real winner. We see that his plane flew from Mar-a-Lago to Washington, D.C., and then to Coffee County, a strange destination for him. And we don't know what happened when he was in Coffee County or why he traveled there, but we do have flight records that show he was there too. So Coffee County, a 70% Trump county, um, became 
part of these efforts to find out more or copy information, or we don't know exactly what their end goal was of copying these files. Perhaps they were looking for fraud. Perhaps they were trying to prove something wrong with the Dominion voting machines, but none has ever been disclosed or found. And certainly, while a lot about our elections is public, the election servers and equipment that administer our elections are kept private and not open to the public for good reason. You don't want outsiders tinkering with them and potentially changing things or altering the chain of custody that ensures that we have election integrity. Mm-hmm. And we know that a lot of that data was shared not only with Powell, but many Trump supporters kind of conspiracy theorists, folks who were kind of only tangentially connected to the campaign. Can you talk a little bit about how serious this breach was? Do we really even know? We know a lot of data was copied. And we also know, based on the Washington Post reporting, they got some documents that shows that it was shared with a variety of conspiracy theorists and election deniers across the country. So we do know that a lot of these files that are supposed to be private and secure were released to people in the general public for their examination and use. And cybersecurity experts, they fear that this information could be used to create malware or hacks or tamper with voting equipment in the future. It always needs to be said that there's no evidence that has ever happened in the past, in particular in the presidential election. But there is a risk. If you know how a voting computer works, You, if you're smart and if you have the expertise, you could potentially figure out how to change how it reads data if somehow you were able to gain access to it, which is exactly what happened in Coffee County. People were able to gain access to these computers that are supposed to be kept secure, and that's the potential risk. I was very struck by this detail. You mentioned that this lawsuit, where all these details are coming out, was first filed in 2017, way before we knew what was going to happen in the 2020 elections. And I believe you mentioned that it has to do with the the special election in the Atlanta suburbs to fill the House seat of Tom Price, who'd been tapped to serve as Trump's first uh, health secretary. Talk to us a little bit about the origins of this lawsuit and what the plaintiffs in this lawsuit want. This lawsuit is about trying to get Georgia to use paper ballots filled out by hand rather than its current electronic-based voting system. It was originally filed after the special election for the 6th Congressional District um, when there were concerns about the reliability of Georgia's old voting system, which did not have a paper ballot at all. It was entirely electronic. And so this lawsuit was a way to ask a judge to evaluate whether Georgia's voting system complied with state and federal laws to ensure that we do have trustworthy elections. And then, as you know, in 2020, Georgia instituted a new voting system that does have a paper ballot, and the lawsuit evolved to then challenge that voting system, saying it's still based on an electronic method of printing these paper ballots. And while better than before, it still isn't a voter putting pen to paper. It's still a computer interpreting how 
people vote. And so this lawsuit continues and it's in discovery and perhaps it'll move to trial someday. But here we are five years in and after this Coffee County information came out that did show that outsiders were able to gain access to voting computers, discovery in this federal lawsuit led to subpoenas and depositions of the people who were involved to find out what they did with this information and how it happened and why it happened and whether our voting system remains secure or is vulnerable. Uh, one of the parties in this lawsuit um, are, are folks that who uh, Breakdown listeners have become pretty familiar with. The Secretary of State's office, Brad Raffensperger, Deputy Secretary of State Gabe Sterling. We interviewed both of them in Episode 7 as part of the phone call that Trump placed uh, in some of the pressure campaign uh, against their office. But they've been parties in this lawsuit. And can you talk a little bit about their role in this? My understanding is that the Secretary of State's office opened an investigation into this a few months ago. But as I understand it, they haven't questioned many witnesses. What's going on? So the Secretary of State's office is a defendant in this election security lawsuit that is separate and different from the Fulton County Special Grand Jury, but it is continuing to move forward and gathering evidence. And the Secretary of State's office has long defended the integrity and security of Georgia's voting system, dating back to its old all-electronic voting system. So they have a stake in showing that this election system is trustworthy and that voters can feel confident that their votes will be counted. And the Secretary of State's office played a key role in the selection of this voting equipment by Dominion Voting Systems, which happened in 2019 before the 2020 election. How seriously are the Secretary of State's office and the GBI treating what happened in Coffee County and what have they said about it? They have said they're taking it very seriously and that the GBI's investigation is a criminal investigation. They opened their investigation into this Coffee County incident, they say, in March. But the critics of the Secretary of State's office in this election security lawsuit, they argue that the Secretary of State's office is not taking it as seriously as they should be. And almost all of the information about this incident have come out of this civil lawsuit, while this other investigation by the GBI and Secretary of State's office is ongoing. Would we know much about this Coffee County incident if it were just because of a state investigation, I doubt it. Now, that doesn't mean they're not taking it seriously, but it does mean that almost all the information, almost entirely the reason that we know this happened, that Trump supporters did come to Coffee County and did copy information for whatever ends we don't know, is all because of actions taken by interested parties outside of government and law enforcement. This is Breakdown Bonus from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, an air freshener can make your car smell like paradise. A drive to Daytona Beach will actually get you there. Beach on. Plan your trip today at DaytonaBeach.com. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC. Mark, you've covered the Secretary of State very closely ever since he was elected. And let's talk about 
how his office has approached this lawsuit, but also just how they operate. You know, we, we've we covered ad nauseum this phone call that the former president placed to Brad Raffensperger. We've talked about the phone call he had with Lindsey Graham and kind of resisting a lot of pressure for him to overturn or tweak election results. And talk to me about how this kind of falls in line with his character and what you, you've known covering him closely these last few years. So Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger and Gabriel Sterling, they had a vested interest in protecting their voting system and standing by it and showing the public that they made the right choice in buying this voting system and that it works properly. They've been saying these things since early 2019 when shortly after Brad Raffensperger was elected, this was the top priority. They had to pick a new voting system we had a state law passed in 2019 that required Georgia to change to a new voting system that had a paper ballot backup, and it had to get done quickly before the 2020 election. So from the start, Secretary of State Raffensperger has felt like they needed to get this right, and also that after they made the choice, that it was the right choice for Georgia. So fast forward to the 2020 election, that did not change just because Trump didn't like the results. Um, the Secretary of State's office still felt strongly that they needed to defend the integrity of this system. And that led to this awkward circumstance where you have a pretty solid Republican, Brad Raffensperger, alienating part of the Republican base when he stood up to Trump. But Raffensperger wasn't going to change what he had been saying for the previous, what, year and a half about voting systems being trustworthy and voters being able to have confidence in the results, even when it meant standing up to the president of the United States. It's quite the tightrope walk that he's been on, you know, kind of defending the decisions he's made in terms of the voting machines he's ordered. Also talking about election integrity and also appealing to the very conservatives he's going to need to get reelected this cycle. You know, he's he's on the ballot in November against B. Wynn, a very well-financed Democrat. That's right. And we can see dating back to last year, Raffensperger's strategy has been to talk to small groups of voters at Rotary Clubs, Kiwanis Clubs, Chambers of Commerce across the state. And he has a speech that he gives. He tells voters how you know that Trump lost. It's because he didn't receive as many votes and that Republican senators who were on the ballot received more votes than him. If those voters had wanted to vote for Trump, they could have. And it wasn't like those ballots were missing. They were cast. But some voters did not want to vote for Trump. So he defends himself in that way. But at the same time, he doesn't ever, much like Governor Kemp, attack the former president. And he does try to appeal to conservative values of integrity and confidence in elections and fighting against fraud. And also, even beyond his base, the his actions in standing up to Trump and defending the voting system helped him advance through the Republican primary. He was able to win with an outright majority without having to go through a runoff by forming this 
kind of odd coalition of Republican voters, despite the Trump base, and Democrats who crossed over to vote in the Republican primary and wanted to support Raffensperger because either he certified an election that President Joe Biden won or because he stood up for the election process that we had, which he was legally responsible for doing. He really wasn't supposed to have any choice in the matter. State law says that he shall certify the election results that are delivered to his office by each county elections office. Uh, Raffensperger doesn't actually manage or count any votes, but he is responsible for certifying the election, and that's what he did. As far as we know, Raffensperger is a witness in this investigation and not a target. Someone we're less sure about is Mark Meadows, the former White House chief of staff. He was recently sent an out-of-state witness subpoena to appear before the special grand jury. And I bring all of this up, Mark, because you were at the Cobb County Civic Center in December 2020, witnessing an episode that we're sure the special grand jury will ask Meadows about if they get the opportunity to. Uh, Meadows unexpectedly dropped by an audit of voter signatures on absentee ballot envelopes to try and observe the proceedings. You snapped a photo of Meadows talking to aides to Brad Raffensperger, who wouldn't let him through the doors. That ended up going a bit viral. The January 6th committee, I believe, ended up showing it as part of their presentation one day. And and talk to us a little bit about that episode and, and what went down that day. So nobody expected the chief of staff for the president to show up in Cobb County that day. I was there with a reporter from Channel 2 Action News, and we were writing about how the audit was going. And while we weren't allowed to go into the room where GBI agents and investigators for the Secretary of State's office were checking signatures on absentee ballot forms against the signatures on file to make sure there were no forgeries. We were able to talk with one of the investigators and interview him. We were able to be in the building and see the activity going on and find out the progress of this signature audit, which was driven by a theory that ballots hadn't been signed by real voters, which turned out not to be true. The audit did find zero cases of signature fraud on the 16,000 or so absentee ballots that were examined. So we were wrapping up our efforts there at the Cobb County Civic Center when suddenly a small motorcade, I believe it was three or four vehicles, you know, you get these dark SUVs pull up and we heard that it was Mark Meadows was in one of these vehicles. We saw him come in through a side door and I was able to snap the photo down the hallway. I wasn't able to get close and I wasn't able to talk to him myself, but it was odd that the chief of staff for the president would randomly show up to inspect a absentee ballot signature audit being conducted in Georgia. And the next time Everything was casual at the time. You know, he asked questions and officials for the Secretary of State's office answered them. Voices were not raised. Everything was cordial and informative. But we do know that a few days later is when Mark Meadows was on the call Trump made to the Secretary of State's office to ask Secretary of State Raffensperger to intervene in the election. 
Not only that, but we learned that at that Cobb County audit is where Mark Meadows met Francis Watson, an investigator for the Secretary of State's office. They ended up exchanging numbers, and that is how Trump was able to call Francis Watson in a phone conversation that was recorded and and shared widely. And we know the special grand jury is interested in that. They subpoenaed Francis Watson, and I am sure Mark Meadows will be asked about that as well. And I know that this Cobb County audit was one of the many, many things you were following in those blurry weeks after the 2020 elections. You were covering the almost daily news conferences from the Secretary of State's office, the many unsuccessful legal challenges filed by Trump supporters. But you were also spending some time down at the legislature, uh, which was conducting hearings of its own, even though they weren't really in session at the time. And you ended up covering one of those hours-long hearings featuring testimony from Rudy Giuliani, Trump's personal attorney, that are also of interest to the special grand jury. So set the stage for me about what it's like. You've covered endless hearings at the Georgia Capitol. Talk to us a little bit about the one you covered and how it might have differed from your average hearing. Well, what was notable about these hearings is they didn't always have bipartisan representation from our General Assembly. Um, Some of them did, right? The House hearing where Rudy Giuliani appeared did have Democrats involved. But in the Senate hearings, um, Democrats weren't as involved and generally didn't want to participate. They viewed it as a sham. And Republicans were fine with that because that gave them an open forum to hear all these allegations of fraud and wrongdoing that were never proven, that never turned out to be true. So the Senate hearings in particular, there were two Senate hearings in December. Um, Giuliani was there roaming the halls of the Georgia Capitol, and he was introducing and talking about the conspiracies that he felt were the most, what's the word, perhaps um, catchy? I'm not sure. But, um, you know, he talked about the State Farm arena conspiracy theories that there were ballots stuffed in suitcases, which has been repeatedly debunked over and over again. And there's video online. You can watch the security video from four cameras in State Farm Arena and see exactly how the ballots were packed and unpacked and accounted for from early morning on election day until early morning the next day. So there was never a time when these ballots went missing or were mysterious. They were put into storage and removed from storage when it was time to count or scan them. So it was really chaotic at the Capitol and that you had all these unanswered claims that were convincing to some state legislators. They did believe these things and still do to this day. Some of them do. They believe that there were things deeply wrong with the election. And it's based on faith at this point. You know, um, the lack of evidence doesn't shake their belief that there was something wrong and there's always a moving target. There's always a need from their perspective for more investigations and more looks and more ballot reviews in addition to the dozens and dozens and dozens that have already been conducted and are still underway. You know, we still have many cases pending by the GBI and the Secretary of State's office that will eventually be presented to the State Elections Board. But so far, there hasn't been anything there. They found four dead voters. Allegations of ballot stuffing at Dropbox is raised by the movie 
2,000 mules. They've gone through three of those cases, and it turned out people were dropping off ballots for their family members, and there wasn't anything illegitimate about it. And again, these cases are still pending, but so far, here we are, almost two years out from the election, and very little has ever been found to be there, but lawmakers took it to be the truth, and it motivated the action of members of Trump's inner circle. Yeah, I think there has been a real enduring impact of those hearings. Brad Raffensperger, when we talked to him for Breakdown, mentioned he still is being asked regularly about what happened at State Farm Marino when he does go and talk to Rotary Clubs and Kiwanis groups and that sort of thing. And even polls that the AJC has commissioned as recently as this year that you've covered, Mark, have showed that something like three quarters of Republican voters in Georgia believe there was widespread fraud in the 2020 elections and something like half doubt the integrity of the upcoming elections. The main thing is that all these things we've talked about, they're all connected, right? And that's why it's so interesting that we see Rudy Giuliani coming to Georgia and his interactions with Sidney Powell, who orchestrated the Coffee County data breach and investigations by the Secretary of State's office and Mark Meadows' involvement and all of it centering on the president's Trump to Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger. It does seem that's why the prosecutors in Fulton County and the grand jury are so interested in all of these tangential cases because there is a linkage between them and they're trying to figure out how much of a connection there is and whether it could amount to a conspiracy. Absolutely. Conspiracy to commit election fraud is one of the potential charges being mulled, as well as RICO, the the anti-racketeering statute. And when Bill and I interviewed various legal experts about especially why a grand jury in Fulton County would care about what's happening in Coffee County 200 miles away, they were saying RICO, RICO, RICO. Thanks, Mark Nisi. Thank you. We have an update. Just a few days after Tamar and Mark's interview, Secretary of State Raffensperger announced that he will replace the voting equipment in Coffee County at a cost of hundreds of thousands of dollars. He said, quote, To allay the fears being stoked by perennial election deniers and conspiracy theorists, we're replacing Coffee County's election machines. Replacing the equipment puts an end to any argument that the results in Coffee County, or anywhere else in Georgia for that matter, will not accurately reflect the will of Georgia voters. Next on Breakdown. Well, it's effective because you go back to that original idea. We want to prosecute the person that doesn't get their hands bloody. And I use a lot of examples from the Godfather movie just because most people have watched that movie and so they can visualize what I'm talking about. But Vito Corleone on the wedding day sat in his office with you know the smoke-filled room with the shutters closed with petting his cat. And he was just telling people, you know, Go take care of this situation. I don't care. Handle this. Handle that. Follow up with this guy. We take a deep look at RICO, the Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act. It's a criminal statute that Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis is extremely familiar with and is not afraid of using. It's something that is constantly looming over this investigation. If Willis does decide to obtain an indictment in this case, will she bring RICO charges? We'll see. And we'll be back next Tuesday. As always, thanks so very much for listening. You can follow our daily coverage on our website, AJC.com. And if you really want to support local journalism, particularly our journalism, please subscribe to the AJC.
There's no way we could do this without our subscribers. Be safe and take care. Until next time, I'm Bill Rankin. And I'm Tamar Hallerman. This is Breakdown Bonus from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or, better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter.